Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, another first of 2024. Here we are with our first theme month. We used to do these theme months a lot more frequently. I know. And we talk about it all the time, but we haven't committed to one in a really long time. Oh, and I have so many good ideas for theme months. I have this long ass list. I know you do. I mean, we could have (laughs) four years of nothing but theme months as far as I'm concerned. I just love the idea. Maybe I'm a little dorky that way. But this last time, I did have a few ideas I wanted to throw out there for theme months. And so a few months ago, I put it to our patrons. What would you like to see us do a theme month for? And I was actually kind of surprised. I was too. But they chose Child's Play. We had like werewolves. We had like a lot of interesting things in there. Not that those, the Child's Play isn't interesting, but uh, right. yeah, I, I know you were probably pretty thrilled though, because we had done a, a mini-sode oh, somewhere in there where we had talked about, I believe, the Chucky series, the TV series. And mm-hmm. I am very unfamiliar with the Child's Play franchise. I've only seen the first one only when it came out, and then again when we saw the podcast. And I don't know why. It's so weird that so many of those movies have come, and I I remembered liking the first one. It was kind of an event for a kid. That first one, I just remember like, oh, this awesome-looking killer doll movie, and Chucky became this household name. That's what I remember anyway. For whatever reason, it did really well. And I'm not really sure why, because it wasn't particularly unique. Like, there were several other doll puppet movies. And for whatever reason, the first one just did really well. And everybody saw it and everybody was talking about it. And so they went they went immediately into production for part two, which is something that I will really enjoy. Because when you've got movies centered on kids, you got to keep the production going. Otherwise, they're going to age out. Like, yeah. these Stranger Things kids in the newest season of Stranger Things are like 30. <laughs> <laughs> And they're still supposed to be playing like 18. Riding around on bicycles and stuff. <laughs> right. You're not the Goonies anymore. It's guys. insane. <laughs> but Andy, I didn't, Alex something, what's his name? Andy's name? Andy's played by uh, Alex Vincent. That's what Alex Vincent, that's what I thought. I didn't write it down because I'm like, oh, I'll remember. I know that. But Alex Vincent was virtually the same age. Like he doesn't look much older and he's still very much a child and he's adorable. Mm. So that works really well for this one. But he plays Andy throughout, right? At least some of the later movies. Am I right about that? Right. Okay. So the first three are kind of like a trilogy. This is one of those movies that's kind of broken up into trilogies. And it's kind of by and not exactly sometimes they're pairs or whatever. But the first three they made in succession really fast. And then three didn't do so well. And I understand why, because it wasn't that great. It was fine. I still liked it. But then they took a big break. And then they came back with Bride with a a really different tone. They leaned way more into the humor of it. It was still very violent, lots of kills and, and creative ones at that, but they leaned a lot more into the humor. And then they did that for Bride and Seed. And then after that, they stopped for a really long time. And then they came back with Curse. And none of us had, like a decade later, and none of us had any idea what Curse was. Is it a remake? Is it a reboot? Is it something entirely different? We had no idea. You know, we find out. I won't spoil it for you, even though I think I already have. And then they stuck with that for two movies, Curse Mm -hmm. and Cult, and then they moved it to the TV show. So they're like, there's all these iterations, but they all follow a continuous timeline. And that is so uncommon in in a franchise that's been going for over 30 years. It's hard to believe. We We watched this. I watched this movie, Child's Play 2. I watched this movie when I was a little kid. Yeah. And I've seen it, oh my gosh, dozens of times. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I have seen it probably dozens of times. It used to play on on television, yeah. <laughs> like in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, a, a heavily cut version, of course. But and and I always liked it. And in fact, and I'll be, I, I'm really interested to hear from somebody who's never seen it before because it's just kind of consensus across the board with Child's Play fans that this is the best movie in the franchise. Oh yeah, well it's really funny. I'll give you I'll give you my idea of why Chucky resonated so well back then. I think it was the first time that the killer puppet thing was done so well and was so bold and brash you know before the this the killer puppet's kind of mysterious it's like oh he's in the corner now he's not they didn't really have the tech or the the wherewithal to really like animate them and get good close-ups and give that puppet a lot of really deep personality i might be missing a movie or two in there that i'm unaware of or that i'm just that's not coming to my head right now but i remember when this movie came out 
It was the first time that the killer puppet really had some personality. You saw him on the screen. He's talking. He's cursing. He's swearing. He's pissed off. He's basically a loudmouth version of the slashers that we were getting in the 80s. And so it fit right in there by taking that older concept of the spooky, mysterious killer puppet and uh, updating it with that modern slasher sensibility and then doing such a damn good job with the animatronics because... Mm -hmm. I, I do remember as a kid, uh, there were TV specials, you know, about the animatronics on this movie. You know, it was all over Entertainment Tonight and stuff. You know, they would pop up and show behind the scenes footage and clips of how this movie was coming together just because it was so groundbreaking with the animatronics. And the guy who did the animatronics, I believe, was Jaeger, right? What's his name? Keith Jaeger? I don't remember. But are you talking about the guy that, like, managed the puppet? Yeah. Because that was, Kath- that was Catherine Hicks's husband, the mother from the first movie. Kevin Jaeger, yeah. Her husband uh, is the guy that ran the animatronic. And, like, there were all this, there was all this speculation why she didn't come back because she's not in this movie. They relegate her to an insane asylum <laughs> be- because she tells people that her there was a living doll. And <laughs> so she's crazy. So they put her away. I guess there was all kinds of speculation as to why she didn't come back. And as it turns out, they just wanted to go in a different direction. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense. Take it out of the familiar environment. And I also think that it makes sense to remove this kid from the people who trust him because otherwise you don't have that buildup. Yeah. Only Andy can know for a while. Yeah. Because if everybody else knows, then the movie's going to be over really fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and you wouldn't go through the trouble of resurrecting the doll. This confused me. And maybe I missed a line of dialogue in here somewhere. Cause there is a bit of explanation at the very beginning, but there's just like, there's all these awesome close-ups of this doll being cleaned up, like they're stripping its yeah. skin, scrubbing the skull, scrubbing the teeth. It's got one good eye that that's popped up because he was burned at the end of the first movie in the fireplace. In the fireplace, uh huh. And so I'm like, what? Who is putting this? To, what kind of evil genius is putting this doll back together? Who knows about Chucky? And then it, you know, there's just this kind of long hallway talk between the head of the company that makes these good guy dolls yeah. and one of his lackeys every supermarket tabloid in the country is running headlines about andy barkley and his killer good guy doll what about his mother and the police that were on the case the police were smart they denied everything which is fine because now they can't hurt us but the mother's a different matter she backed up her boy's story in court so now she's under psychiatric observation jesus where's the boy now midtown children's crisis center foster custody is pending uh, our biggest problem has been the rumors. A lot of people are saying that some joker here at the company must have tampered with the doll's voice cassette. You know, uh, hi, I'm Chucky. I'm the Lakeshore Strangler. Now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> well, something like that. <clears throat> but the good news, Mr. Sullivan, is that now we've got the doll. And they're recreating it. They're restoring it. <laughs> And I was like, why? It didn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? But they do. They throw in a line of dialogue that explains it. Because apparently, though nothing could be proven, there were rumors that somebody at their factory had messed with the voice chip and had had it say terrible things like, I'm Charles Lee Ray. I'm a murderer. And so they restored it so that they could disprove that but like what how would they at their own factory reconstructing the doll then then handing it to somebody and saying see there's nothing wrong with it how would that prove anything well they're not even going to like that's the other thing like they're not even now that they've disproven it for themselves they're not even going to tell anybody <laughs> yeah, just, like it doesn't make any sense like i love this i love this opening sequence oh, it's great but this doll is a f***ing Terminator. Like, <laughs> they don't make dolls out of titanium. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he has a metal skull and all kinds of <laughs> the teeth. They're like teeth. There's like a movable jaw and these teeth that look like... It's, like, it's great, and I'm glad they did it because it looks fantastic. It's a, it's an excellent opening, but like it disproves itself in the end. Yeah. Chucky doesn't have a metal skull. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good point there. But I love the aesthetic of this. It is so goofy that I was just like, oh, so this is the movie we're in for. And I was just settling in warmly because when he goes to the part of the factory where they're restoring this doll, it looks like a freaking 
toy version of a very serious operating room. <laughs> like, yeah. Did you ever see that movie Toys with Robin Williams? Yes, I did. It's almost like that. Not as whimsical, but painted like very whimsically. And that was a style choice. Like there, this movie on face value is a fairly typical slasher movie. It actually plays almost more like a thriller or like a, like a Jallo, except you know who the killer is. Mm. Um, but that's kind of the feel of it. Like it gives me very like Hitchcockian vibes in the way that it's shot and it's stylistic. And that was one of the stylistic choices that he made. He wanted the factory to be bright in color to contrast, you know, what you would typically expect a factory to look like. Other stylistic choices were like he wanted the whole movie to look like it was being viewed from the perspective of a child. Everything was shot from low angles, so it's like you're looking up at people, and the shots are broad, they're wide. It's something that I don't even really notice, but then the instant that it's brought to my attention, oh yeah, I see what he's doing there. And there are lots of other really interesting, like, close-up shots, those cool, I love these shots, they're kind of cheesy, but used effectively, those shots where, like, there's just, like, a bar of light across the eyes in a really close... In a really yeah. tight close up. You no, know I'm talking about <laughs> uh-huh. like it's like the Morticia Adams shot. Like yeah. she's always only lit right across her eyes. There were a couple of times that they did that. Lots of interesting stylistic things going on. Ultimately, as I'm sitting watching this and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this kind of shows its age and I'm not sure how Todd's going to feel about it. And then I'm getting further into it. I'm like, no, this is good. It is. <laughs> Honestly, this is a good movie. It holds up in a in a day and age where nobody would bother to do it this way. They'd have CGI on here. They would want uh-huh. the doll to look as realistic as possible. In most of the scenes, it is remarkable. Number one, from a technical perspective, how not distracting it is that this is obviously, you know, some kind of animatronic. It actually helps i think because the guy's a doll i think we might have talked about this and during the first you know when we did the first movie too it's been we so talked long. about it a million times yeah but yeah the guy's a doll and so of course he's his face is not going to be fluid you know like a person he's not like a magical creature right he's a doll and so his face is a little rubbery and his eyes can only kind of move left and right and a little bit up and down but kind of jerky and and that's actually it adds to it and it it helps fit the illusion. And so in that way, it's always going to be timeless, right? They did it just well enough that the illusion that this guy's a doll is totally convincing. The illusion that he's talking with the lip syncing and everything is totally convincing. Uh-huh. And I read in the in the trivia how much effort they took to make sure that they were meticulous. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this time around, unlike the first time around, Brad Dwarf was barely ever on set because he just pre-recorded all of his vocals so that they could animate the animatronic to match his vocals. So he was never on set. They would just play the audio for the characters to work with. But I also read that they were so meticulous in wanting to make sure that the the animatronic looked just right. There's one scene about the midpoint of the movie where Chucky follows Andy to school and kills his teacher. And there's like one shot of him walking out of a closet. It's, it can't be more than five, seven seconds. And it took like all day to shoot yeah, because they wanted to make sure that they got it right. And, and I say all day, maybe even longer than that, but they were really, really determined to make it look as good as they could. And I think it looks great. It yeah. looks practical and i like practical effects i also thought that in this movie chucky is particularly brutal like his face is much meaner Mm -mm. i feel like than in the first movie yeah slightly more believable i know that one of the problems that you have with these movies is like it's a doll just grab it and throw it down but in this movie chucky regularly almost always attacks from the back and is like clinging to somebody's back and biting like he's a major big time biter in this movie yeah and i can almost believe that in a commotion it would be very difficult to get something that was clinging to your back like that off. Oh, yeah. Much more difficult than if it were coming at you from the front. Honestly, it would be like a cat that had jumped on your back yeah. and was grabbing your your shoulders and, and all that. It's it's actually kind of tough. <laughs> I have had cats. I know what that's like. So, yeah, for sure. I, I was never taken out of it. And you know me, as you just said, I was I was looking for this. I was I was waiting for those moments and they never came. Because, you know, they just struggle with him a little bit and, and kind of jump onto the ground and stuff. But he's 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 fighting them 
quite a, quite a bit from the back. And so and the threat is very real for Andy because Andy is a small child. I just think that he's adorable and I think that he's great in this role. And a big part of what I think is so great about him is his vulnerability. Like there are times when he's just walking around where he will like stumble or trip over something. And I have no idea if that was choreographed. I kind of suspect that it wasn't like he's a child, you know, kids kind of stumble through life, but it made him very vulnerable. And I I think he's great. He he has a lot to carry on his shoulders in this movie. And I think he does a really good job. It's remarkable and also like a oh god i felt so bad for this kid i felt so much sympathy for him way more than i expected he's by himself he's at a, i believe at an orphanage or is it just a place that's placing for foster kids i think it's a temporary it's like department of children's services or whatever but right. it seems like a lot of children are staying there yeah but yeah he's he's getting placed with a foster family and before that he talks to a psychiatrist or a counselor or somebody who asks him if he's still having nightmares about chucky and he says yes and they have kind of a nice back and forth but ultimately andy i guess kind of recaps what happened he he tells us the whole lore about how he was this murderer and then he put himself in this doll but then he had to get out of the doll because if he didn't he would be stuck in there forever and he has to come in me because i'm the first one that he revealed his secret to now all of the voodoo stuff i just learned this i didn't know this but all of the voodoo stuff don mancini didn't like and didn't want i don't know what his idea for it was they have stuck with the voodoo stuff throughout like it, it's continuous it changes a little bit and <laughs> uh, chucky gets chucky gets better at it and other people can use it too <laughs> he's not so good at it in this movie <laughs> <laughs> no he's not so good at it but the rules kind of change like eventually i and i i would bet money and we'll see cuz we're going to watch these movies i bet money that they somehow explain it because the whole chucky can only go into andy thing just goes away <laughs> oh okay I, I had kind of forgotten that myself too i remembered that he was just like and he wants to be in me but uh, i wasn't sure how hard and fast that was and as we were watching this movie i was thinking to myself like why doesn't he just go into somebody else it'd be a lot easier for him like one of these people he's about to kill just do his little voodoo thing but he's just right. hell bent on andy and then i was trying to come up with ideas like is it because he wants to be in a in a man's body not a woman's body and maybe it's because he wants to be in a kid's body because it's like he's got his whole life ahead of him and you're gonna be like it's like the perfect cover really everyone's gonna i don't know yeah i guess that's interesting that would be interesting to explore like he wanted to be able to relive his childhood because i read that there's an official novelization of this movie where they give a lot of information about chucky's backstory like he was autistic and his father was abusive and his mother was a little person and the dad eventually and he was bullied in school and the dad eventually left and the mother was so annoying that he eventually strangled her and that's how he became known as the lakeside strangler (laughs) all of that backstory is done away with later because series we get backstory and it's not that (laughs) but in the context of this movie if we considered that backstory it maybe would explain his motivation for wanting to get into a kid like he wants a second chance or whatever that makes sense but anyway yeah so andy is going to foster care and he gets taken in by these two people and immediately like they're good cop bad cop like the mom Mm. seems super nice and nurturing and the dad just seems like a big jerk yeah or i don't know the guy's played by garrett graham and his name is Phil. And we've seen him before, <laughs> probably most notoriously in Terrorvision. He was the swinging father. Oh, I couldn't place him. And I must I looked at his credits and I I must have missed that. And now that you say it. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. He's been all over TVs and movies for decades. Well, that's the thing. Most of the people in this movie you will recognize from somewhere. Oh, yeah. The foster care lady, totally recognizable, but in a million things, lots of horror. Yeah, Grace Zabriskie. Uh, I know for sure she was in, she was in The Grudge. Mm-hmm. She was the old lady who was like incapacitated in the haunted house. She was in Twin Peaks. Yeah. She, I mean, she's, yes, she's like yes. 80 or 90 right now. She's been, she was born in 19, the 40s. I think she's been acting since the mid 60s. Child actor. 
the lady who plays the mom is still working. I think she's on a successful television series right now. She disavows this movie. She hates it. Apparently, they filmed a lot more stuff with her, and and they cut all of it. And she was she's resentful. She feels mm. like they took away all of her good stuff. They took. But she's still around. the The woman that plays the teacher is in everything. If you've ever yeah. seen a movie <laughs> or an episode of television, you have she's seen this woman. She's been in everything. I, she was a semi regular on Seinfeld. She was in Two Wong Fu. Thing. Thanks for everything. She's literally been in everything. (laughs) (laughs) And she's fantastic. I love her. She's a brilliant character actress. She was on The Office. She was, oh God, she's been in everything. And because all roads lead to Chopping Mall, I just have to point out Garrett Graham was also the technician who gets killed first in Chopping Mall. So, okay. Remember that? That's funny. So, yeah, filled with familiar faces, but they specifically did not want to cast big name people. And if you look at some of the other people who were considered, like the only one that comes to mind is Veronica Cartwright. Like Veronica Cartwright's not a huge star, but another very recognizable face. But they considered a lot. Andy McDowell, I think, or somebody. I don't know. Lots of people who you would recognize were considered for this movie, which is crazy. Right. Because this is a like a, a little weird slasher. However, I guess I'm failing to consider what year did this come out 1990 90 well see this was nearing the end oh i don't Mm. know it's kind of late to the game it is it is a little but i mean we were still getting slashers were still yeah yeah nightmare on elm street part four or so i think maybe around this time something like that it just kind of blows i i I'm I'm boggled by the success, despite the fact that I like them so much, and despite the fact that I think this one in particular is a very well-made movie. This movie is written by, or is directed by the writer of the first movie, is that correct? John LaFia. There's a whole tour. He was a co-writer with Don Mancini on the first movie, I think, right? On the first? Mm-hmm. He didn't direct it. Tom Holland directed the first movie. Right. But the first movie was Don Mancini, John LaFia, and Tom Holland are all credited as writers on that. And then when the director of this movie got the job, he brought Don Mancini back on, which also surprised me because I thought that Don Mancini was just the godfather of all of this from the beginning. And apparently he wasn't. I guess he just kind of adopted it. Oh, interesting. I don't know. But this, the guy who directed this one, he just had in mind, I know I can do better. Mm. You know, we did the first one and I know I can do this one better. And that was his goal. And I think cinematically he accomplished it. And I think that he was really smart in some of the things that he did. One of those things was giving Andy an ally, a hesitant ally at first, much like his mother, Mm. but somebody who eventually gets on. Notice also that Andy's stepsister and not stepsister, excuse me, I keep saying that foster sister, Kyle, looks very much like Andy's mother from the first movie. Mm. Exact same hairstyle. That's a good point. You're right. I'm looking at it now. And Kyle is played by Christine Elise, I think is her name. I love her. She's fantastic. She's another one of those people who is not an A-list star, but has been working for decades, and she's got a great look. Like, she's kind of a tough girl. Really, yeah. Kind of chick, and I really like her, and it's really interesting to read the other people that were considered for her. I think maybe Jennifer Jason Lee, Christine Swanson. Christy Swanson, right. And she kind of gives off a bit of that vibe, too. It's uh... Yeah, a little bit. I believe Christina Lee kind of more as a tough girl than I do Christy Swanson. Christy yeah, Swanson, agreed. for whatever reason. She's just got a little bit more of an edge to her. But she's great, and I love her. And from the beginning, like, she's a rebel. She smokes, and she, you know, I don't know, wears a leather hat or something. So, you know, she's rebellious. <laughs> but she's not disrespectful to her foster family. No. Aside from the fact that she smokes in their house. But she's not disrespectful to them. She actually tries to be helpful. Like, you see scenes of her doing the laundry and stuff like that. But... From the get-go, she's kind to Andy, but she also is real with him. Mm-hmm. Because she's been through it. Like, she's been... She tells him, I think very early on, that she has never stayed in one foster home very long. Like, just the foster mother asks when she's introducing Andy to Kyle. She says, Kyle, 
why haven't you unpacked? And she's like, well, because I never stay anywhere very long. Now, why this girl would get passed around a lot, I don't know, because she seems lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so she smokes cigarettes. Get over it. She's 17. <laughs> Give her a break. <laughs> um, but she's kind to him from the beginning. We have seen that Chucky has the, the douchebag lackey to the corporate guy takes Chucky and I don't know, just throws him in the back of his car and is driving around, calls his mistress. This is one of the alternate scenes in the TV version. There's a TV version that cleans it up a little bit and it, and elongates it to, to make for time because they have to cut out some of the gore stuff. In this scene in the TV version, the guy first calls his wife and says, oh, no, honey, don't bother oh. holding dinner. I'm going to have to be late again. I know. I'm so sorry. I know. I promise. And then he hangs up the phone and calls his girlfriend. So that version makes this guy even douchier. Oh. And then he has to stop at a liquor store, and Chucky gets in his briefcase and finds, like, Andy's information, and then holds him at quote-unquote gunpoint and forces him to drive to Andy's neighborhood. It turns out the gun is just a squirt gun, but he ties the guy up in his car and suffocates him with a plastic bag. Yeah. <laughs> Chucky or somebody else popping up behind the driver's seat becomes a motif throughout the series <laughs> that I love. It happens over and oh, over does it? again. Because it happens like three times in this movie alone. Oh, gosh, I love it so much. At first, I was like, what in the world is he doing? And then I realized that I guess he doesn't realize he thinks it's a grown man back there. That first. doesn't make any sense either. He doesn't like you would look the the first thing you would do would be look in the rearview mirror. Right. Yeah. To see who it was. Easiest thing. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't. <laughs> so he's already killed that guy and he knows where Andy is. So we know that. Now, Andy goes to his room and like is it's a room full of toys. Like it's a really nice place. Like ultimately, these people seem like decent people. Yeah. They but, have a nice home. But his house, the first scene when Andy walks into this house, I feel like the house was deliberately painted up and designed to look like a dollhouse because yes, everything about it is dolls. There are little figurines everywhere. There are paintings of dolls. Everything is dolls. It has this odd, almost like surreal Barbie dream house, pink and blue motif where the walls are pink and all the accents like the staircase and the borders at the top and bottom and the wainscoting is all this pale blue. I, it struck me the moment he walked in, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> but like you said, it's filmed from a child's perspective. And I immediately got that. I was like, oh, like we're seeing the ceiling on this in this in this house. And we're seeing, yes. you know, this is sweeping around and it, it, it looks like a dollhouse. It, it looks larger than life. I thought, oh, man, they're putting a lot of thought in this movie. Like this isn't thematically. This is quite cool. Yeah. The the design of that, the design of the foster home is intentionally like off kilter and strange. He wanted it to feel unwelcoming and, and off. And you mentioned seeing the ceilings. That was a stylistic choice too he always the the cinematographer director always wanted to be able to see the ceilings because we don't normally see that especially on movies that are so shot on sets yeah you know there's usually structures for lights and sound and all that thing up above so you don't usually see the ceiling he wanted to show that and again it's one of those things somebody somebody not like me who is well educated you know in cinematography something that they would notice right away it's not something that i noticed right away but again as soon as i'm my attention is brought to it i notice it and i understand it does have an impact it makes a difference it leaves an impression nonetheless and it also gives you this feeling of a little bit of claustrophobia right that's why i felt so much sympathy for this kid i, I was with him as he walked into a brand new and unfamiliar place. Right. That he was going to have to live with these new and unfamiliar people who he knew were not his parents and he wasn't going to stay with. And so it's I, I just felt so bad for any kid in this situation. Then immediately he becomes a problem for his dad and his mom because he's talking about Chucky and he's got these things and they think he's a little crazy and he's got trauma and maybe we need to give him back. And well, he's not my son. And anyway, and he's overhearing them have these discussions about him. And it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it is heartbreaking. And the dad comes off as such a dick, I will say that in the TV cut, it's a little bit more clear that part of the reason that the father figure is more distant than the mother is the fact that they are trying to adopt. In the TV cut, she tells him the adoption people called again. We got 
turned down again. And he's oh. like, what? And she's like, well, I guess there are just so many kids to go around. And they start, they're talking about Andy and Kyle. And he says, but they're eventually going to leave. They're not ours. So it's like he doesn't want to get too close to these kids mm. because they're not their kids and they're just going to they're they're going to leave. And he's still a butthole, but I can kind of yeah. empathize with that. It's like, understandable. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get it. This is heavy stuff and it's deep and it's emotionally challenging. And to put that in this horror movie and to have it come across and and feel real I thought it did. Well, right. And it's particularly, you know, like we we skipped over the part when Andy's exploring his room. He reaches up to the top of the closet to pull down a skateboard and a good guy doll falls down on him. They just happen to have one. And the mom's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll get it out of here. And it's like, hi, I'm Tommy. Want to play? But she she takes it and she puts it down at the bottom of the stairs and she's going to get rid of it. Chucky doesn't show up quite yet or he's there and Andy doesn't know it yeah. yet. But like you said, he overhears that the dad saying, you know, I gotta tell you, I'm not happy with this whole thing. Having second thoughts? Well, you have to admit he's a very troubled little boy, and he obviously has not come to terms with this whole doll thing. Look, all I'm saying is that he may need more uh, attention than we can give him. So, to prove that he's over the doll thing, Andy goes and gets the Tommy doll, flips it over on its back, and checks for batteries. <laughs> because that's because that's how the mom figured out that it was alive the first time around. But it's got its batteries, and it seems like it's cool. But I think by this time... Is it already Chucky? It's already the Chucky doll, yeah. There's a whole bit... It is. There's a whole bit. Chucky shows up at the house because he makes a phone call to the orphanage to get the number, which I don't think would ever happen today. I doubt it would have even happened in 1990, but... Right, Anyway, right. he gets there. He sneaks into the house. He sees the Tommy doll. He grabs the Tommy doll and bashes its face in. <laughs> in my notes, I have, and he murders the Tommy doll. Because <laughs> that's there's, what it looks like. There's so much comedy in this movie that, that it's so charming because of that there is just so much dark comedy i was giggling throughout it because of things like this yeah. see but he murders the tommy doll and he buries it in the backyard with the plastic toy shovel and he's laughing giddily while he does this and then he replaces himself with the tommy doll and there's this cute moment where andy comes down he looks at the doll and he's gonna pick it up like you said for the first time to prove and the doll comes to life like he says hi i'm and then looks to the side for a second and then looks back <laughs> tommy want to play <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny. I almost fell out of my seat. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. And then Kyle and Andy have some bonding time. Yeah, Chucky kills Tommy <laughs> with this, like, precious tchotchke that belongs to the foster mom. And so when they find it broken in the morning... The dad accuses the the two kids and says, I know one of you did it. And they're both like, no, we didn't. And he's like, okay, well, until you do... Until somebody confesses you're both grounded. Kyle acts irritated for a while, but then, like, she doesn't take it. Then the very next scene is her and Andy in the laundry room, like, hanging out and chatting. Yeah. It's fine. And Andy's, like, joking around with her. He tells her some dumb joke. Like, you want to hear me say your name backwards? And then he turn he just turns his back to her and says her name. Like, stupid jokes, but totally something kid. a kid would do. Yeah. And they're they're bonding, and then they're out like outside and Andy's swinging and she's gardening and Chucky is sitting in a chair ominously in the background. And eventually Kyle wants to turn on the swing and she's dragging her feet because Andy's pushing her and she doesn't want him to. And you see that it's right over the spot where Chucky buried Tommy and it's starting to unearth him a little bit. Like Chucky's <laughs> eyes get big, but they don't find him at this point. What I love about this movie is they don't pussyfoot around. Like no. they get to things like the very next thing that happens is like Andy. Well, his, his foster mother, who is very nice, you know, reads him a story. And then he's like, my other mom used to sing to me. And I don't think that this was intentional comedy, but I laughed so hard because he's like, Will you sing to me? And she's like, okay. Like, she doesn't sing a song. She just, like, starts, like, doing some melodic riffing. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> there are songs in the public domain that you can use. You don't have to pay. Give her something to sing. <laughs> so weird. But anyway, then he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up. 
bound and gagged yes. with Chucky on top of it. I love it how Chucky's a, a ropes of choice for binding anybody together or jump ropes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hilarious. It's so cute. And there's just an unlimited supply of jump ropes. I know. There's like, <laughs> at least four tying up his arms and legs right here. <laughs> Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were going to be friends to the end. And now it's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. Adi Dui Dembella. Adi Dui Dembella. Like, it's the same. I love it. I could do that whole chant for you because it's the same every it, time. It never changes. <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? It, it it eventually gets a little bit fancier, like way, way down the line. Like there are like variations on it, but um, it's always that Ade Due Dembala thing. And he starts to do it, but Kyle interrupts it. Now, this is one part of the movie that I take issue with. Yeah. Because this child is bound and gagged. <laughs> and Kyle appears to be under the impression that he did it to himself, which would be impossible. impossible. And then the parents come in because Kyle comes in because she's coming through his window because she snuck out to go on her date because they were grounded. And the parents hear something coming on and they come in and they're like, you tied him up so he wouldn't tell on you? Like, uh, what? No, so she did it. <laughs> but, and he is saying, like, it's Chucky. It's Chucky. Please, please believe me. If you don't believe me, he'll kill you. <laughs> Another thing that I love about Alex Vincent's performance is he keeps like he's trying to be rational like <laughs> he's not even as erratic as I, maybe a real child would be yeah but, like, for like, sure guys i'm serious like <laughs> he is a killer and he will kill you he's remarkably adult about this in in, in many ways actually in well, his demeanor he's been anyway. a lot in the last couple of years that's true <laughs> <laughs> he knows things he's matured a lot better. but the dad's like fine i'll get rid of it i'll and he throws it down in the cellar and locks the door he's like oh there see it's gone Okay. <laughs> so then Andy and Kyle go off to school the next day and they have a, a discussion outside of the or at the bus stop. She drops him off at the bus stop and he, you know, he's like, it wasn't me. It was Chucky. And she brushes him off and he says, you're just like everybody else. Nobody believes me. And I think that gives her pause. I don't think mm. that she believes him necessarily but i think that it gives her pause yeah you know what i'm saying like like she realizes that this kid has nobody somebody needs to be on his side in some way he, shape, right or yeah right and then he goes to school and i love the school scene but you should talk about it because i'd be interested to see i want to hear it from your perspective I love this scene, though. Oh, yeah. This scene is great. You know, some kids flicking his head and the teachers being your typical douchey teacher as they are on these things. Like, well, I thought that the first thing on your mind, especially as a new kid, would be to get it to my good graces. And there's this great shot where I guess everybody's out for recess or something. And Chucky's inside the room and he's looking through the papers like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Like, what is this dog going to do with these like kids papers? <laughs> <laughs> After the teacher finishes bitching Andy out wrongly. She goes back to her desk and is flipping through the papers to hand back. And on Andy's paper is scrawled in red crayon, F you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. This movie can get away with this stuff, and it is super humorous because it's a doll. And this is just the joy that I found in this movie, and I hope it's just going to translate to all the ones that we do. I love this character because he is like a super frustrated angry adult stuck in a doll's body and he just wants to freaking get out of it and it's just everything uh -huh. is cursing and swearing and he just doesn't give a shit about anything he just wants to do what he needs to do so he can get on with life and so whenever he's cursing and he's swearing and stuff it just comes across as really funny well, I, I think it's blasphemous that we haven't uttered the words Brad Dorif yet, because yeah. when you were talking earlier about why you think this one was more successful than the many, many others, you're right. And I and, you know, fact check me. I don't know. But this is the first time that I remember the doll or puppet or whatever having real character mm. and talking. And Brad Dorif is great. It, it it's an over the top, shouty, maniacal performance, mm. but in the body of a doll. Oh God! <laughs> it's just it's just great. It works. It's fantastic. So well. And Brad Dorif is a brilliant actor. 
just brilliant. Oh, yeah. Like, watch him in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He will break your heart. Oh. And he's just really good. Anyway, so yeah, so the teacher, so the teacher sees the paper and keeps him, makes him stay, lo- locks him in the room. Locks him in. Oh my god, I was, I was just shaking my head at this. Did we? Did people ever really do this stuff? I guess probably. Maybe like my mom's era. They probably did. But yeah, she. But no. But didn't that classroom? Didn't that classroom totally ring you back? Like, oh yeah, that's exactly what my classroom looked like. Oh yeah, <laughs> when I was that age. Exactly here, same thing. The whole school, you know, it's like this old, really well built old school with multiple floors and, uh-huh. and this, the classroom has a closet in it like a full-on yep. walk-in closet to keep things in i was thinking of invaders from mars had the same classroom goonies like all these older movies that they all actually kind of have the same classroom don't they uh-huh. so just you uh-huh. keep getting brought back to it and back to it and back to it and it was so much fun so she tosses the doll inside the closet locks the closet and then she walks out of the room and locks the room and walks on down the hall and <laughs> can't get out But Chucky can get out of the closet. We don't see what happens. We just uh, hear commotion and she comes into the room and can't find the boy. And she goes to the closet and, of course, thinks that he's inside the closet because there's noise. And so she unlocks it and spends an awful lot of time (laughs) searching this tiny little closet Mm -hmm. for traces of Andy. But no, Chucky springs out at her. She falls down and out of the closet. And that is the scene that you're talking about, where he comes storming out with the ruler. <laughs> a yardstick. <laughs> oh, and I don't remember what he said. But, you know, it's just it's just traces of how teachers would. And this teacher probably for sure hit kids with rulers or yardsticks to get them to behave. And what does he say? Something like you, you need to be taught a lesson or something. Like I that. don't remember. <laughs> She's on the ground because he knocked her down and she, he's just kind of uh, stomping towards her with this yardstick. It's bold. And then you just see him. But only like it, it cuts to outside the school. So you can just see this his silhouette in the window mm-hmm. stabbing with this yardstick. And I guess that they shot more brutal footage of that, but they ended up cutting it for whatever reason. Did he stab her or did he just hit her so many times? I I don't know. I don't think you could kill somebody by hitting them with a yardstick. I don't know. Maybe if it's metal. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But Andy shows up and he, he tells the foster parents that Chucky was at school and he had to run away and he ran out the window and he ran home. And Phil... The dad shows Andy that Chucky is, quote unquote, still in the basement. Now, somehow Chucky has gotten himself to and from school (laughs) and is now back in the basement. This is the bus, I guess. We and Andy overhear another conversation where Phil says he wants to get rid of Andy and Kyle comforts him. Andy, I've lived with dozens of different families. And they always seem to send me away just when I'm getting comfortable. But you know what? What? Every time it happens... It just makes me stronger because it reminds me that the only one I can count on is myself. Okay, and you have to learn that now. And Andy says, it doesn't matter. Wherever I go, Chucky will find me. (laughs) It's so bleak. (laughs) (sighs) But but it does it does change something in him. It kind of like he does get this notion and good for him at this young age. Like, maybe I do need to take matters into my own hands. I know. So we get this great fake out shot. It's a point of view. And it's this little hand that reaches up real fast and opens up the drawers in the kitchen is closing them. It's looking for a knife. And it was about the third time that it happened that I was like, wait a minute, that's not Chucky's hand. It's too big. And it turns out, of course, to be Andy's hand as the camera swoops around at just the right moment. And what Andy finds to use out of all the things in the kitchen is is one of those electric knives meat carvers what are the yeah oh it's like God. what your it's like what your dad would carve a turkey with. like the you know the, normally in my house that thing was in a drawer or in a closet somewhere until maybe thanksgiving or christmas right the one time we would have a giant ham and although it's perfectly easy to carve it with a regular knife that's why you bought that electric thing you know 40 years ago when they were in right <laughs> These guys, they have it propped up and charging on the middle of the counter like they use it every day. (laughs) But it's cool. It's a cool implement. I'm not sure I've ever seen this in any of our movies yet. And so uh, he picks it up and he starts to go to the basement. And sure enough, Chucky's not at the bottom of the stairs. And then we get the creep around the basement looking for the doll scene, which was uh, really effective. Like, yeah, it was tense. Except for there's all kinds of weird things down there. There's like a... (laughs) 
like <laughs> like a spindle, <laughs> like the thing that Sleeping Beauty like pricked her finger on, and there's like a, a cigar store Indian down there. There's all kinds. Of I weird did things. wonder if some of this was supposed to be little Easter eggs or little subliminal cues that know. would make us think of other movies. It it was that weird. You're right. But a series of events now happens very quickly. I think that Andy and Chucky fight down there for a little while and Chucky kind of gets Andy down on the ground but then the dad hears something and he comes and when he opens the door Chucky skitters away Hmm. and so the dad starts coming down the steps of course Andy's left there holding this carving knife so he looks like a lunatic the dad starts coming down the stairs and Chucky uses like a giant fishing hook (laughs) it's like a harpoon (laughs) Yeah. Um, To trip him, which causes him to fall down the stairs and be suspended upside down over the edge of the stairs for a moment. He's deliberately hooking his his ankle with this spear to the stair. Right. And then just long. He's only suspended there long enough so that he can see Chucky and see that he really is alive. And I think that Chucky says something like, how's it hanging, Phil? Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he he removes the hook and so Phil falls directly on his head and he breaks his neck and dies. I didn't expect that. I did. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, by this, you know, a few minutes before I expected it, but I w- I did not think the father would die so quickly and so abruptly. Well, then everything happens really fast because the mom comes down and she's really upset and she tells Andy to stay away from her and the ambulance shows up and the the foster care lady shows up and takes Andy away, but Andy says to Kyle, he's still in the basement. Don't let him get you, too. And so Andy gets taken away. The ambulance and everything leaves. Kyle goes down to the basement, gets Chucky, takes him outside, throws him in the garbage can. Then she goes and wistfully smokes on the swing. But while she's swinging, her boot upearths something and she reaches down and picks it up and it's Tommy. And she like she like turns quickly back and looks at the garbage cans and we and the music swells. We haven't mentioned yet the score. The score is amazing. Oh yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I think it's Graham Ravel does the score. This was his first big cinematic score. He had previously done oh that Nicole Kidman on a boat movie, Dead Calm. Mm which is another great movie that we should do someday, but probably we'll never get around to. That was He he had done that, but that was small. That was with a small ensemble. This he did with a full orchestra, and it's fantastic. Mm. Like, it's so good. Like, it's continuous, and it's pseudo... It just establishes the the tone so well. Love this score. But anyway, she goes back up to the trash cans, pulls the lid off, and Chucky's gone. And so she hears a commotion upstairs. She looks upstairs and sees the light on in the mom's room and she yells for her. But then she goes up there and all we hear is the sewing machine. She comes around the corner in the room. Everything is in disarray. And the mom is dead. Chucky has strangled her and killed her with the with scissors that one i didn't see coming the dad had set himself up as a butthole and buttholes usually get get their comeuppance but the mom was nothing but kind and so that was surprising (laughs) maybe that's why she was killed off screen and we just saw the aftermath i don't know but chucky attacks kyle they fight a little bit but then he i don't know does he have a knife or a gun he makes her drive too like, yeah, he needs to <laughs> be chauffeured all around. Oh, he's held her up with a knife this whole time. Like, she's just completely at knife point. She gets pulled over by the cops, right? Yeah. She's driving. And he's trying to drive her to, gosh, I guess it's the, the foster school. care place. Oh, yeah, yeah, the foster care case place because they got to get Andy. And they do. They get there. And Chucky has a knife, like, held behind her back. Like, she's holding him just like you would hold a baby or a doll. And. She, uh, he's got the knife behind her back. Chucky pulls the fire alarm to get everybody out. The foster care lady is like, you did this when she sees them. And she pulls Andy and Kyle into her office where Chucky then attacks and kills her and throws her dying body onto the copy machine that starts making copies of her dying. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love the humor in these movies. I love it. Oh. And this is nothing. Like, they really lean into it. Like, it's kind of like with Nightmare on Elm Street when Freddy started getting really jokey. Like, in, like, five. Yeah, four, really. It, it, it eventually gets there. But they they really eventually lean into it. And they lean into it so much that it works for me. Other people disagree. Some people don't like the later one. But then there's this whole chase where... Chucky runs away with Andy and like gets him in the back of a newspaper truck and Kyle is following them in the car and eventually I don't know at one point I think this is when Chucky is still in her car she like slams on the brakes which ejects him from the car 
okay. <laughs> yeah. And and then she tries to ram him, but it doesn't work. Then there's the whole foster place. Then she's chasing him in the newspaper truck. She gets the newspaper truck to stop. It's Chucky flips her off from the back at one point, which I thought was hilarious. Mm. And then Chucky and Andy run off, and we see that they are running towards the good guy factory, which we saw in the beginning, but only briefly. Yeah. But this sets up the... I don't want to say the final act because it's pretty brief, but like this, this final finale, the finale in this enormous good guys factory filled floor to tall, tall ceiling with stacked boxes of good guy dolls. (laughs) And it's everything is bright colored and the lighting is bright and it's so good. It's like a kid's nightmare. When they first get in there, Chucky does, he tries to do the ritual again. Right. And it looks like it's going to work. The the dark clouds roll in just like they did in the first movie and there's lightning and all this stuff. And it looks like it's going to work. In fact, there's a moment where you don't know maybe it did. Like the the ritual is done and Chucky is just kind of looking at his hands and then he screams, no! so you know it didn't work and he says i've been in this body too long and so he's all mad and so then kyle like topples some boxes over and then they can run away where they're turning every corner i wouldn't have thought this and i can't believe that it didn't cross my mind because it's so obvious that this is an obvious homage to the shining yeah I didn't think of it either. What was going through my head was, this is the most inefficiently laid out warehouse I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how, like, forklifts got in to place these pallets, let alone in these locations, let alone they think they're going to take them away. But yeah, it was it was cute, though. Like you said, it this is this is meant to evoke an image. It's a nightmare there. You know, it's a kid's. But it's this bright toy type nightmare and uh-huh. they're going around and ter- make a million turns before they finally head out of this factory and again very surprising to me as well how brightly lit and expansive this factory was there are so many things in this movie that you have to just like suspend your disbelief yeah because there's no logical reason why or how this factory would be running Like in full effect. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night with no people around. Right. This one guy behind a counter in a monitoring room was just reading a magazine because the way that... (laughs) The way that the factory machinery is set up, there are a million points of failure here. These dolls just are like sliding down, twisting slides, half. Yeah, it's it's like mousetrap. It's like a Rube Goldberg device. Going down in any willy-nilly, any way, shape, or form, slowly down these, these conveyor belts. Somehow they manage to get lined up enough for these arms to come out. And almost almost like the Jetsons, really. You know, these arms come in and can just pop legs and arms onto these things they go through this one narrow spot as soon as it happened i thought oh please tell me this is going to come into play later and it sure does where the dolls come into this point where something comes out to the sides to to straighten them out and then this machine pops two eyeballs just like violently in those sockets and so it's this kind of willy wonka type yes yes thing and, and and there's clamoring around and for for no good reason in my opinion i mean it doesn't make logical sense they decide the way to get out is to climb on the machines and start you know climbing up to the next level i would have just been looking for a door i know well they are looking for a door but they find one but it's as though the only way to get through the door is climb through the machines it doesn't make any sense girl go around yeah and like and so they so they crawl through that eye popping machine and they get through it fine and chucky's around he's kind of popping up here and there and at one point like they have to climb up like a rolling conveyor belt like you know like it's just those series of rollers they climb up that and andy gets all the way to the top and then he loses his grip and slides all the way down and chucky pops up at the bottom springs up that's a cool scene even though it's ridiculous i loved it it was just perfect and then Chucky's, you know, following him up these rollers and Kyle, you know, helps Andy through and then slams down the gate on Chucky's hand and they run and Chucky has to rip his hand off. Now, help me out with this. Like, is Chucky like Pinocchio? Is he turning into a real boy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Again, this gets a little loosey-goosey later on. <laughs> okay. It's like early on it's established like when somebody hits him in the face and he actually bleeds, he's he makes some comment about, "Oh no, I'm turning real. I need to get He's turning human." Right. That's okay. that's the clock turning on the on the movie why he can't take his time with any of this stuff. Right. But man, then now now I guess that means he's more vulnerable and he feels pain like he does when he has to rip his hand off. Well, and then he takes the hilt off of his knife and jabs the metal 
not the knife, not the blade end, but the the metal part that was under the hilt into. So like now he's got like a knife arm. That was so weird <laughs> that he takes the time to do that. Well, especially if we're to believe that he can feel pain. Like how could somebody really endure that? And he screams in pain. Things really get ridiculous here, and I really don't care because no, I didn't. Either. I'm invested in the characters, and so like Kyle and Andy are just running around, and Andy just happens to bump into this button that reverses the conveyor belt and draws one of the dolls back into this box where it like turns it into a crazy monster like the thing <laughs> right like this big melted mess of limbs and like, arms why does this button exist I like oh, just in case we want to make like a horrific terrible version <laughs> it's just of this doll it's just a jokey kind of like because even the box itself it's like i don't know why it's up on a giant pedestal but it is the conveyor belt goes way up to the top where this thing sits like the temple of doom at the top these metal doors like from star wars that come in in two directions come clashing together smoke is pouring out of this thing and then when things come out the other end like you said when they come one way they're they're perfectly fine and nothing seems amiss when they go through backwards they become this horrible nightmarish thing but that's okay because also andy bumps into another spot where something drips down on him and it's like a giant vat of acid or something. It's it's fly, it's molten plastic. That's okay. Well, it seems like acid at the beginning, right? Because it's like hitting yeah. the ground and steaming. It like hisses, right? Yeah. And that's what happens. Like, you know, they have this fight with Chucky over the conveyor belt. And at one point, it looks like she's going to go up into that place and she narrowly escapes. And it's actually pretty quick. They fight him for a second. Then they like get him in like a stitching machine. So he somehow gets like stitched to the conveyor belt. Like his crotch gets stitched to the conveyor belt. And, and then hurt. they he goes up into the monster maker and he comes out on all mangled and they think he's dead and they walk away. But then we see this big, long blood trail. I'm not exactly sure what happened Did here. Did he tear? his lower half off and crawl away from it i guess well and somehow in all of this he has managed to hang oh we didn't even talk about the guy the mechanic guy <laughs> when when andy when andy hits the monster maker button or i don't know things get all jammed up and this the the night watchman or whatever comes down and he's trying to like unclog the eye popping machine yeah and once he gets it all unplugged then chucky attacks him and he lands on it you know face up and it pops those eyes right into his eyeballs funny <laughs> but I, yeah somehow at some point chucky had the time to suspend that guy's dead body from like a 30 foot rope from the ceiling <laughs> and then swing it like a pendulum hard enough to knock kyle unconscious onto the monster maker conveyor belt so she's unconscious going up to the monster maker and andy like the chucky is dragging himself he has no lower body he's dragging himself he's like you know what i'm gonna do when i get you i'm gonna cut your legs off but he, <laughs> f coincidentally he drags himself right underneath that spigot of of melted plastic and andy opens it and it dumps on chucky and he like screams and melts and stuff and he's just a big disgusting blob on the floor Andy goes and saves Kyle right at the last second, right before she gets put in the Monster Maker. And they walk down, and Chucky is just a big, gross mess on the floor. But in great slasher tradition, he jumps Still up not one dead. more time. <laughs> one more time. And in the most ridiculous turn of events yet, Kyle grabs a random hose <laughs> that is, like, hosing air. And she stuffs it in his mouth, and somehow his mouth seals around it. And <laughs> he blows up like a balloon and explodes all over the place. It's just ridiculous. And it ends with like a crane shot of Kyle and Andy walking out of the factory. Andy says, where are we going? And Kyle says, home. And he says, where's home? And she says, Andy, I had no idea. <laughs> and then that's the end. Okay, so the TV ending is different. Everything happens up until the time when they are walking out together. It pauses instead of it all being a crane shot and you just hear their voice like an ADR. You actually see them have this conversation. And at the end of the conversation, she has she says, I have no idea, but it looks like I'm stuck with you. And he says, I think you can handle it. And then they walk off together. But then it cuts back into the factory and it cuts to that vat of molten plastic. And you see that a little tiny piece of 
Chucky's face when it exploded it fell in the vat like it's like part of his upper cheek and one eyeball and you see it melt and sink into the vat and then you see the plastic going through tubes and down into a mold and when the mold pulls away it's a good guy doll face no eyes you know just the plastic face plate and it smiles what and that's the end mm-hmm. well that's elaborate why didn't we see that i think they should have kept it because that's exactly where part three picks up mm. they they recreate it more stylistically in in the beginning well, of part three i just have to imagine what while chucky's face and this was going through my head while he was exploding uh, aside from the fact that why didn't he just spit that hose out in the first right. place was he must have been saying although he couldn't god damn it where the f- did my metal skull go <laughs> <laughs> He looked like a garbage pail kid when he was blowing up like that. He did. Ugh. I like it. I, did you? Because I, 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 I get it. it. No, like, it's, I, it's 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 thirty. It's over thirty years old. So I, I could understand why somebody coming to it new, especially a, you know somebody maybe not of our generation coming to it new, we just kind of write it off as any other eighties, early nineties slasher. But I actually think that it's quite good as a movie. I kind of would come out and say that if this movie just doesn't fill you with joy, you're a joyless person. Like this is just. <laughs> It is just fun. And part of the fun is I read that it's the shortest movie in the uh-huh. franchise. I wouldn't have known. It could have been two hours long. I wouldn't have known because it just moved. Uh-huh. And I appreciated how it just moved and moved and moved. It was never boring. It was always interesting. It was funny. Left and right, just funny things are happening. The character is just so good. And I never, I guess I never appreciated Maybe that's why I was never into him. I saw that first movie when I was young. I never happened to see much more. I didn't really get into the character because I was so into Freddy and I liked the darker stuff. But I just didn't realize how charming. And like I said, it just because I just loved seeing this guy getting frustrated all the time mm-hmm. and hearing him then curse and spit out just venom. It, it was just it's like seeing the bad guy get his comeuppance over and over again and getting some glee from seeing him get more and more frustrated. But no, he's still very, very scary and he is still killing people and he seems to, against all odds, be able to manipulate and control people and hold them up at knife point from the backs of cars and get them to do his bidding as much as he needs to, improbably, but whatever. Yeah. I I loved it. I was willing to suspend my disbelief and that whole final sequence in the factory was just so gosh darn gleeful even when he goes up into that machine at the end well towards the end right the first of the three times we think he's dead uh it's comically violent the way that those arms and bits and pieces we don't know what the hell they're doing but they're just ramming themselves into the side of that box over and over again (laughs) well and i also like like he is screaming in agony (laughs) it's just the movie is taking this gleeful joy in just amping it up to 300 percent I don't know. There was just some magic about it. It just all felt right, and it was so much fun. Well, I'm excited to watch the others with you. I I don't know if you saw my email. You said we're going to skip the third, huh? I kind of think we should skip part three. Not because it's bad. I like it. But coming off of part two, I think that it would be a big disappointment for you. So I was thinking I would watch part three anyway, even though we're not going to do it for the podcast, just for continuity reason. But do you think I should just... Minisode? (laughs) <laughs> oh, we could. Or do you do you think like are you are you saying like I should really skip it and just come back to it later? What I'm saying is like if you have the time to watch it and you want to, I don't hate it. It's not a terrible movie. It's just not as good as this. It's not one. as fun. First of all, they up age Andy, and he's not played by Alex Barkley. This is the only time in the franchise that he's not. Mm. And the actor that plays him is handsome and good. I like him, but it's. Uh, I like Alex Vincent. Okay. I, he was too young. He uh, he yeah. was too young to play the character. But if you want to watch it, I would say go ahead. I still enjoy it. You don't need to because there's nothing consequential about the timeline in it. Okay, I see. So this is like Machete Order. You know, you've heard of that for uh, the <laughs> Star Wars uh, franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you watch the original, like episode four, watch episode five, get the big reveal, then go back and watch episode two and three so you get the backstory, and then watch the final six, the sixth episode. But you don't even need to watch the episode one because it's completely inconsequential. There's nothing, no information, one, that you need to understand anything else from two on. One of the things that I love about this series is they're continuously doing callbacks. And I love that because I, you know, as a devoted fan, it feels like fans 
service to me that I appreciate. But there's not really much in part three to call back to. Mm. There, there, there just isn't. Well, I like your idea. Maybe we do a mini-sode on part three and, and leave that for our patrons. Cool. You know, it would be a good reason if you're not a patron to uh, consider going and signing up. This is one of many mini-sodes that we do and lots of little things that you're missing out on if you don't get behind the curtain, join the club. <laughs> We're also doing a Christopher Pike uh, book club back with the patrons. You're going to join us on that, aren't you, Craig? Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think I'm a little more excited about this than he is. Anyway, yeah, we've got a, we've got a handful of people who are willing to give that a shot, and I haven't read them for ages, and so kind of curious to do that so i give it a shot have you have have you all decided what you're gonna start with i mean i was gonna like you know take my privilege and suggest remember me which if i recall that's a good one a kid, okay i, I remember could probably that get on board with that yeah the two that i remember being the best were that one and chain letter so if you start ah, with either yeah. of those i think i i think i could get on board okay yeah chain letter i think was the first one i ever read me too, I think. I'd be down for those. Yeah, for for sure we're going to do Remember Me. For sure we're going to get to Chain Letter. Maybe it'll be the second one. If that's what we need to hook you in, then that's totally fine, Craig. Uh, I can defer. I can defer to your whims. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our patrons for suggesting this month. I am so on board with it now. I'm so excited. I was always on board, but I'm even more on board now. I can't wait to see the other movies in this franchise. If you want to help guide the show like our patrons do, just go to patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast. You can also get there from our website, uh, chainsawhorror.com. There's also a link on there for you to chat with us. You can send us a little voice message, and uh, we will be playing those voice messages on upcoming episodes. We give our unedited phone calls with lots of little personal information that we chat about before and after and some little tangents that we go off on during the episode that we leave on the cutting room floor. All of that is there in its uncut and raw glory for our patrons as well as lots of other stuff and just general chatter we just like having our little conversations behind the scenes with our super fans thank you uh, so much guys and until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw 